Welcome, Gabriel Del Puerto, CEO of Udacity. Welcome to happy, succeeding, thriving, all that kind of good stuff in the future of work. So I'm so excited to speak with Gabe today because he runs a firm. Well, you know what? I want to do, I'm going to give the ball to him. So Gabe, you can tell better than I, can you share what you do, what your company is all about? Sure, uh, Gabe Dalporto. And first of all, thank you for having me. Um, I'm really excited for this conversation. Um, uh, we had a really great conversation last time we talked and, uh, and just looking forward to, uh, to the discussion. Um, so I'm Gabe Dalporto. I'm the CEO of Udacity. And um, Udacity's mission is to train and upskill the world's workforce on the careers of the future. And if you think about the crazy transformation that's happening uh, today, the, the half-life of a skill is about five years, um, which means everything you learned in college is probably obsolete at this point. Um, and everything you know today is going to be obsolete in, in five years. And really our mission is to help people on that journey to move from maybe traditional skill sets into uh, digital skill sets and to really capitalize on the future and take advantage of the opportunities because there's hundreds of millions of new jobs and these digital uh, technologies being created um, and also insulate yourself from, uh, from disruption. So really excited to be here and looking forward to our conversation. So for the people watching, Gabe, I know it's across the board, but are you noticing any particular areas where people should, you know, beef up? Where should they upskill, retrain to, to, be, to be needed in this kind of market, especially now where, let's say in the tech sector, there's a lot of downsizing, hiring freezes, uh, rescinding offers. So for people to make sure they're relevant and they can't be replaced, what, what would you suggest, some ideas? Um, yeah, kind of several, several ideas there. First, the macro trend we're seeing is that hundreds of millions of jobs are being uh, destroyed in um, kind of call it the careers of the past. Anything that can be automated is and will be automated. Um, and even some pretty, you know, uh, you know, complicated things that you think don't lend themselves to automation. Technology and AI is, is really um, moving forward very quickly. Uh, and so a lot of uh, jobs are going to just, you know, honestly be replaced. And so what workers need to think about is what, where is the world going, not where has it been, and forget the jobs of the past and really focus on the jobs of the future. And, you know, generally the areas we see um, a ton of demand uh, in is number one, anything related to data and analytics. Um, everything from basic like business analytics, marketing analytics, data analytics, all the way up to data science. Um, and then all the way up from data science to you know, more niche things like machine learning, artificial intelligence. Um, all these areas are seeing an explosion. And we've have, we're, we're really swimming in more data than we ever have in the history of the world by a long shot, um, but there's not many people available to analyze that data and extract really powerful insights. And every organization we talk to is having struggles here. So data, data and analytics and data science is one. Um, another is areas like uh, cybersecurity. And, um, you know, I think what we've seen over the last couple of years is really major data breaches and really major companies. And everybody's realized this isn't a side project anymore. Um, and, you know, everybody in the organization needs to be fluent, just understanding what like cybersecurity and what some of the most common, you know, ways you can be attacked are. 
Um, but then how do we develop a, uh, an organization that has the skills to, to really insulate ourselves from a technological structural perspective from a lot of really creative uh, cyber attacks that the, the criminals are getting more and more creative in how they um, uh, approach organizations. Uh, so cybersecurity is, is an area, cloud is another kind of generational shift from on-premises, servers, racks, stuff like that, into everything becoming virtual and cloud-based. And not just like where you store your data, where you process or do web servers, but where you do all your work, you know, online. Think about like your old downloadable Microsoft Word now going to like a Google Doc um, and things like that. So everything is moving to the cloud. So those are three kind of like real macro areas that we're seeing a lot of interest. In addition to like all the standard stuff around uh, programming and, and, you know, digital marketing and stuff like that. But like those, those three areas are, are huge growth areas. Now, do you need to be tech savvy or mathematically inclined for those or, or can you learn and pivot into these spaces? Sure. And it's going to depend a little bit, right? So um, every one of these areas have, call it entry points, right? Where there aren't any prerequisites. It just requires someone with like a good mind um, a lot of curiosity and some tenacity. And you know, through all of our um, you know, experience working with learners and, and really um, taking people from zero to uh, proficient in a skill, uh, what we find is like, if you've got a good head on your shoulders and more important than anything, you just put the hard work in, you can succeed. So there's entry level in data, um, data science and analytics. There's, um, there's entry level in cybersecurity. There's an insatiable demand in cybersecurity right now. There's entry level in cloud that doesn't require someone to have even a college degree, um, but just has you know, good solid logical thinking and for sure programming. Programming is the classical, like you don't, like a lot of the best programmers actually never went to college. So, so in a way that's good. So it's like, you don't have to be intimidated. That's right. Because I think a lot of people, myself included, you know, you hear data science and just the name of it. <laughs> it's like, oh, what is this? How am I gonna do this? I don't know. This sounds like, <laughs> what do I have to, we're going to laboratory and make experiments, uh, what's up? So, so you feel, if you have, you know, the motivation, the drive, the will, you know, you, you wanna make this happen and you're reasonably intelligent, and you're willing to roll up your sleeves, then it's achievable. Then you can kind of pivot and go to these fast-moving careers of the future. Definitely, and some of them get more technical than others. Yeah. So if you want to like build machine learning models, you're probably going to have to have some prerequisite math. But to do basic data analytics, um, you know, is, is a lot lower bar. Um, but something like cybersecurity, something like um, cloud, uh, you know, most people can enter those um, and, and, and establish yourselves in an entry-level position and then through experience work your way up and, and take you know, additional programs to, to accelerate that path. Um, but for the most part, you know, um, you know, these are very achievable and, and most people uh, can be intimidated by them, but you know, the reality is they're, they're so doable. Like we have, um, I'll give you one anecdotal example of, of zero to one. Um, you know, we worked with this student uh, named Tony Boswell. And uh, Tony was a truck driver um, and he had his own truck and he'd been driving his own truck for years. Um, he spent like 300 days a year on the road, never got to, saw, to see his wife, never got to see his kids. Um, his truck broke down and he just didn't have the money to fix it. He almost went bankrupt. 
Um, and he got actually a Udacity scholarship in uh, Android app development. And uh, he did so well on that. We, he got another scholarship and now is a software developer. He sold his truck. He gets to spend time with his family. He's making good wages and transformed his life. And so uh, that's a good example of zero to one. An example of kind of like, you know, two to three would be, um, you know, we work uh, uh, with one of the top five oil and gas producers in the world. And uh, they had a central data science group that uh, was responsible for 70 countries and they just couldn't do it. Like you didn't have enough people in this group to service 70 countries. And so we created a custom program with them to uh, create a citizen data scientist uh, uh, path where you could take people who understand good math. So like a um, civil engineer or mechanical engineer, geological engineer, teach them the basics of data science, teach them the basics of machine learning and set them loose out in the field. And the great news is those people, um, because they have such local expertise, like they know what's important in this country versus that country, this context versus that context, they were able to deploy those new skills and have really transformational impact on the company in a very short period of time um, because they took the time to do the upskilling, but then they also had the local context where they could, they could deploy it. So. It's uh, depending on where you are, you may go from zero to one, or you may go from like two to three, or you may go from five to seven, but uh, it's finding your right entry point. All right. D don't laugh at me because I'm, I'm not in your business line, but here you talk, I wonder, as a society, would we be, be better off sometimes instead of having your kids go to college, spending upwards of 70,000 a year, graduating with a degree, and you become, you know, working yeah. at Starbucks, which nothing's wrong with that, but it's just now you're loaded down with debt, as opposed to maybe you put together, you know, let's say Udacity saying, hey, maybe you want to go be, you know, go into cybersecurity. We could put together a program which could help you get in, a foot in the door for kind of a fraction of the price or the truck driver you mentioned. We'll, yeah. we, we look out at, like there's a whole class of people out here in America that kind of get ignored. And maybe if somehow it reached out to these folks who have the aptitude, you know, we talk about, you know, 11.4 million jobs are open. There's a lot of open jobs to say, hey, maybe we're not tapping into the right sources. Do, do you think, let's say with your company and just in general, that maybe that's going to happen. We're going to change the way we view the traditional university, the traditional four-year degree, and maybe look for people who are underserved and overlooked to kind of bring them in a cost-effective way. I there are so many answers to that question <laughs> yeah. at a high level yeah. the universities are failing our students yeah they are failing the united states um the rate of tuition increase since the 80s has been astronomical <clears throat> the only industry that has raised prices faster than education is healthcare, and he healthcare is a disaster in this country in terms of cost and so is education. Healthcare and education wind up being massive, massive hidden taxes on the middle class. And the reason is universities have forgotten their mission, which is to actually you know, train people in the world and they become luxury brands. There's a great NYU professor that talks about this, that they get status. Scott, Scott Galloway, right? Yeah, Scott Galloway yeah. by yeah. denying more and more students admission. The more rejections you give, the higher your ranking in U.S. News and World Report. And it's, it's absurd. Charge, right? It's crazy. The more you charge, right, the more status you have. 
It is insane. They are completely and utterly failing our students. And when students graduate, they have tens of thousands and or sometimes hundreds, hundreds of, of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Debt. And what do you do with that? You wind up with a degree that has no practical skills in today's economy. So I think that there is fundamentally just, I mean, universities need to restructure themselves radically uh, to fix the education they're giving. But at the same time, a lot of people, and if you think about like underrepresented minorities, like who maybe don't have the economic wherewithal to go to a four-year uh, program that's charging these unbelievable amount of some money and even with scholarships are going to wind up burdened like they've never imagined like you're just shutting down doors on everybody so i think that there are really great paths that could go through the university system but not just through the university system um, in parallel or around the university system where people can get real skills get real jobs pay, paying you know oftentimes six figures um, and get on with their lives uh, is it's like I'm the beneficiary of a university degree but like I'm not using that university degree today and um, and I had a good time and I went to some parties and learned some stuff but like at the end of the day it's, it's a really tough spot that high school seniors are facing today so I think there's there's just a different way to think about this it, you know, there's another element that I noticed. Uh, on my wife's side of the family, we have about 20 nieces and nephews. The vast majority of them don't want to have kids. And it's not because they're like, the world's coming to an end, I don't want to have kids. It's they realize we can't afford to have kids because both of us are working. We're paying off our student debt. You know, rental, you know, to rent an apartment, buy a home is so exorbitant, getting a car and so forth. So they feel like, how we can't, how do we do this? And yeah. that's heartbreaking because it seems like this would be the one of the first generations in our history that they're not going to do as well or better than their parents. And it, the tuition, to your point, the tuition debt is just, just weighing them down like an anchor. It is so true. So if you if you start to move into the solution space, yeah. right? Like what do you do about that? Um, you know, one one answer is you find alternative. Uh, routes that don't require you going into a couple hundred thousand dollars of debt, um, uh, which would be like learn a real skill. And uh, there's a big role for uh, enterprises to play in this. There's a big role for foundations uh, to play in this. Um, with enterprises, the challenge they have is something like 59%. We actually just did a, a survey with um, a major multinational survey with Ipsos. And we found that 59% of large enterprises are um, have major uh, and substantial skills gaps. And um, most of them say that a lack of skills are preventing them from achieving their business goals, right? So most enterprises around the world can't achieve their business goals because they don't have talent. Now, traditionally what happened was they go, okay, let me just go hire some people. But the problem is you can't even do that. There's not enough people with these skills in the world to fill all the open roles. And so they're just hitting a brick wall on the hiring front. And, and at the same time, they're experiencing really high attrition and they're kind of between a rock and a hard place. And the solution is right there. You need to invest in, in the talent that you have, right? Take the, the workforce you have and invest in them and transform them into the workforce you need through upskilling in a very structured way. 
or you need to invest in um, what we call train to hire programs where enterprises are saying no, no, no all the time to mm -hmm. applicants because they don't have the skills, but their skills gaps might not be that far. You can actually say yes and then put them through a structured training program that get, gets them the rest of the way and gets them into your, uh, into your uh, employee base. So enterprises play a really important and companies play an inter, uh, a really important role in this ecosystem and kind of refactoring the US workforce um, and foundations uh, do, do as well. That makes so much sense because from my experience you know, being executive recruiter, what I find is this, oftentimes you're, you're right. They'll say, no, 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 because they want 10 ingredients. You only have like four of them. But instead of saying, wait, let's figure out what skills does Gabe or Jack have or Christine, and let's see if maybe we could, you know, teach them those skills, you know, upskill them, give them training, give them coursework, and then boom, we have it. Because right now, you know, we have so many jobs open. People, you know, companies complain we can't find enough talent, but yet they're still doing the old school way of like, okay, Here's the job description. Here's the resume. If everything matches, okay. If everything doesn't match up, sorry, we'll move on, which is ludicrous where you can offer that training and upskilling and education and e-learning. And all of a sudden you, you can get it. And plus think about it. There's such a, you know, what? 4 million people quit on like a nearly monthly basis. And a lot of them feel they're just not appreciated or they can't grow. So if you're worried about attrition, to your point, Gabe, then just train them and teach them and, and they know yeah. that they can rise within the organization and they'll stay and they'll be happy because they're like, oh man, they just paid for me to learn this cybersecurity. This is great. I'm going to hang on here because like, who knows what they're going to teach me next? This is awesome. So, so let, let me build on that for one second because you mentioned uh, employee attrition. Um, one of the common concerns I hear from employers is well, if I train someone in cybersecurity or data analytics, they're just going to take that and go get a job somewhere else, right? So that's the fear. The reality, and we've actually empirically measured this, is you have a massive retention benefit from training people. And the reason is a majority of uh, workers under the age of 50 a majority of those workers say, I expect my employer to upskill and train me and to keep me current. And if I don't get that, I will go get that somewhere else. And so they're actually leaving because they're not getting the investments they need. And here's another statistic for you that's gonna really highlight this. 80% of employers say they're doing a good job training their employees. Only 45% of employees <laughs> agree with them. Yeah, I hear stuff like that. Well, it's so, it's so it, I, you shouldn't laugh because it's serious, but so often you see those studies where management say, yes, 100%, we're doing great. And the employees and workers are like, no, it's terrible. It's yeah. awful. And, and there's such a dichotomy between the two. It's amazing. This, this, was, a, this was a huge study across many yeah. countries. And, you know, the employers are patting themselves. The <laughs> yeah. Employers are going, no. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so it's... Uh, <laughs> is a really startling statistic. But when you do that, when you do invest in them, they're super appreciative. And particularly yeah. when you invest in them and not just say, um, hey, here's a benefit, knock yourself out. But you right. say, okay, I see you want to learn this skill. 
let's get you, let's get you that skill and then give you an opportunity to use that skill. That's when you see the real stickiness, the happiness, the loyalty. If I learn data analytics, but I get sent back to like being a call center rep, like mm-hmm. I'm really unhappy. If I learn data analytics and I get a promotion into an entry-level data analytics position, I'm a loyal employee. And that's what the, the data shows. So, um, so, so there's a real, there's a enormous churn right happening right now happening across uh, industries and categories. And one of the simplest, fastest things you can do is just to simply invest in your employees, uh, upskilling and reskilling, and then let them use those skills in your company. And by the way, then you get massive ROI because they're taking those skills and transforming your business for you, as opposed to being a drain on your business. Now, I don't know if you have this, these statistics, but I wonder too, if let's say, you know, Christine gets upskilled is now you know, on the path to become a, a cybersecurity expert. I'd imagine everybody who she works with is going to turn to her and say, huh, how'd you do that? I want to do that too. So I would imagine it has this effect where everyone else is like, wait a minute, raise your hand and say, hey, I want to be part of it too. So not only do you keep Christine happy because she's on that path to greatness and moving forward, but now all her cohorts are going to say, hey, I want in too, and they're going to stay. And then I do know you know, from studies, but I anecdotally, I see it all the time. You have a tight knit group of people, you know, who you're friends with and you have a network, you're apt to stay with the company longer because you're loyal to that group. So it has that effect, positive effect too, I believe, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things we're seeing with, um, in the post-COVID world with a lot more remote work, <clears throat> I think we've, we've learned that we can actually be really productive uh, if we're remote, um, there's some things that become harder, uh, but you, you know, there's some pros and cons, gives and takes. But the one thing that is missing is those tight knit social bonds and communities. And so anything you can do to create community, whether it's sending people together um, in a program together uh, or, or doing something else together, uh, I think can really help facilitate that. In terms of the, the cohort piece of this, though, what we've uh, seen um, time and time and time and time again with our programs is that if you, if you just say, hey, here's a learning program, anyone who wants to take it can take it, you typically get relatively low pickup, you, you know, people using it, mm-hmm. and relatively low graduation success rates. When you say, hey, here's a program, and you know, I, want to, I want to train 100 people on these skills, because I got a hundred open job openings and I'm going to um, take everybody through in a cohort together in a kind of a community type cohort. That act of taking people together through a program in a structured way with guidance and administration um, results in vastly, vastly higher success in graduation rates, like order magnitude. So if, you, if you're really smart and deliberate about your programs, if you put people together in these community groups, if you support it through like community managers and um, uh, actually synchronous sessions and things like that, you have like uh, human live human interventions when necessary, like that results in a really, really good outcome. Um, and, and it really leverages that community aspect. How does that work with Udacity? Are, are mm-hmm. there a chance to, for people to network with each other and be part of this group? 
Yeah, so there's there's community aspects on our platform. Um, and what we uh, what we do is we provide for the employer, we pr provide the analytics so they can see each individual, how they're progressing. If people are, are off track, then either we or the employer can then step in and get them back on track or the manager. <clears throat> uh, we can do um, synchronous, uh, what we call connect sessions, like either weekly or biweekly, uh, where we do just a live session to check in on people give them an opportunity to feel connected to the group. So there's a lot of really interesting tactics you can deploy uh, that ultimately create that, uh, that, that feeling of community. And just the logistics of it. So let's say, you know, I sign up. How long does it take or does it depend on whatever yeah. program? It's going to depend on the program. And um, if you think of, we have a, a called a unit of learning called a nano degree. And think of this as like a mini version of a master's degree. And it's really focused around a job spec. So if I want to be a um, digital marketing person, well, then what are the bullet points in my jobs uh, spec that I need to know? Well, I need to know pay search. I need to know organic search. I need to know copywriting and some, you know, some um, intestine learning and stuff like that, right? Um, and so each of those four bullet points, we structure a program to get you hands-on practice in each of them. So like, how do we get you to set up the paid search campaign? How do we, you know, you know, give you a, a, an assignment to write some ad copy creative? How do we give you an assignment to do something else? So you get this like real practical experience um, uh, in, in the process. Something like a nano degree will take part-time, so 10 to 15 hours a week, uh, will take call it three to four months. Um, if you can go a little slower, so maybe it's five months, or if you want to just go heads down, maybe you can do it in two months, right? So part of it is how much time you have to dedicate. Um, but think of it as, you know, three to four to five months and you get like a full job spec skill and you're ready to do that job day one and you sit down in your seat and you're doing your job. Um, if you want a micro skill, so say you only wanted to know, you know, paid search and that's a you know, less than a month, let's say, you know, just a, a, that's a much shorter period of time uh, investment. So it's, it's really just how much do you want to go, uh, go and how much, how far do you want to go and how much time do you want to invest? Have you, have you tried to partner with companies that say, okay, here's kind of the job spec, the type of person we need. Can you make a nano, you know, um, you know, coursework module yeah. to fit? Does that happen? That all the time. And so, yeah. you know, most of our clients will have that situation. They'll say, look, I don't want to go from A to C. I want to go from B to D. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we do that all the time with them. So we can customize our programs to understand exact. And we can actually assess your employees to say, OK, where are they in that spectrum? Right. OK, so they're here. Now, let's have a custom program that takes you from this baseline to where you need them to go for your specific context. Um, that's great because it avoids wasting time on stuff they already know, uh, wasting time on things they don't need to know. Um, and, uh, and then when they complete the program, they have the skills they need to do the thing you need them to do. So they get to actually deploy those skills, um, real time. So that's really a best practice for us is that level of, of um, customization. Why wouldn't, I mean, this might sound naive and stupid, but like, why wouldn't more companies do that? Because it seems in the long run, it'd be much more cost-effective to say, yeah. 
hey, let's get Gabe and his team to teach people how to be data analysts because we, we need them. Or maybe we need people who could do just kind of entry level coding work or whatever the case may be, rather than having to hire a recruiter like myself and pay a big fee to get the person in and maybe they stay, maybe they don't stay. Um, or maybe people leave because they feel they're not being you know, appreciated and not being trained. So from a cost factor, I imagine it's a huge savings. It is, it is way cheaper than hiring, right? Think about like how much it costs you to, you know, run your internal sourcing people, pay a recruiter, go through all those candidates, all that interviewing time. Like think about the, the, the true cost of hiring. It's not just the recruiter cost, it's all this other time and human capital costs. And then you hire someone and it's like almost flip a coin, do they work out or not? Yeah. Right, or you can take someone internally uh, who you know is a good performer, um, who you, you like know is a cultural fit. They know your business, and you you invest in their skills, which can be done really quickly and efficiently. And you get them on their way, and they stay longer. Right, so it's a it's a much less expensive model. Now, why don't they do that? I think we're just moving into a new paradigm. Like historically, skills weren't so technical. Right, so you could just hire um, out in the open market, and there were a lot of people, you know, who could kind of fit in and 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 um, uh, fill those roles. Right now, I just talked to the uh, chief security officer for a major U.S. bank, and she told me, "quote We're in an all-out war for cybersecurity talent, and we're losing." Mm -hmm. And we just can't hire it anymore. So we have no choice but to manufacture it in-house. And then they're trying to figure out, oh, how do we do that in-house? We don't have the expertise. And that's where somewhere like someone like Udacity comes in because we kind of plug into that. But um, I don't think it's, I just think it's not been how companies have operated and they're being forced into that mode of operation right now. And they're trying to figure it out. So there's a lot of just like, um, desire at this point, and we're seeing kind of a lot of uh, increasing uh, demand for uh, services like Udacity, but they're trying to figure it out and, and they need to really partner with a great company who's been there, done that, knows like what works, knows what doesn't work, um, and can help them accelerate that pro process. I can imagine how this could play out. So let's say take the cybersecurity. And it's interesting, I had on the podcast this guy, Jesper from, he's in Denmark. And I and he was kind of telling how even before Russia invaded Ukraine, they were just, you know, they were just causing havoc in terms of cyber, you know, cybersecurity oh. matters, you know, in Finland and Denmark and all these countries. And it's just horrible. And same thing, he just, they don't have enough people to fight back. And, you know, the, the business losses were tremendous. So could you foresee let's say Udacity or what have you, one day saying, hey, okay, we need to have, I'll make, I have no idea, but I'll make them know, we need a, you know, 50,000 cybersecurity experts. And on your platform or some platform, you have a platform, you hire the best in the business, right? The best cybersecurity experts ever. And, and you could teach people like have this nano course within three, four, five months, where now all of a sudden, you have a whole large number of people who are well-trained who could come in there and help out. I mean, is that too naive or is that kind of well, scalable? We're, we're kind of experimenting with that uh, right now, 
And so we've worked with- Oh, so it was a smart question then. All right, good. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, we, uh, we're working right now with like some of the largest professional services consulting firms in the world. Um, we're working with some of some very large uh, enterprises uh, with the goal of running scholarship programs in areas that they really care about. And ideally scholarship programs that, you know, have really good representation of uh, minority participants as well. And then that becomes a bespoke recruiting pool uh, for this program. So an employer may say, great, I want to sponsor 500 uh, scholarships in cybersecurity with the goal of hiring, you know, 30 to 40 of them, mm -hmm. right? And then we can actually go find a diverse pool of candidates um, and run those programs and then they can hire them. Or they can take their inbound application traffic and put them through those scholarship programs and then hire the, uh, the graduates, right? So, um, so this is happening. Uh, inter uh, enterprises uh, are very, very excited about this. Um, and so we, we've got some programs running. And um, so, so that, that is not a far-fetched uh, future. Right. See, that's great. Actually, that's exciting, right? That's that, if that yeah. would take place, how awesome would that be? That'd be amazing. Well, it, it, and then in a way, you're kind of facilitating that in run around yeah. the university system, right? So, if employers are willing to sponsor, as opposed to imagine a world where instead of going, you know, spending two hundred and fifty thousand dollars over four years at one of these luxury university universities. Um, an employer paid me to learn cybersecurity and then made a job offer, right? That's a pretty right? good alternative. <laughs> so especially for a parent who has to pay that money. So yeah, it's yeah. a great, I like that very much. It's too late um, for me, my kids are already almost finished. So like, you know, it's a little too late, but for others, it'll help out. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll tell you a little anecdote too. Like I'm kind of a weird person by background. I'm a... Uh, I mean, nuclear engineer by training, mm -hmm. um, but I spent most of my career as a chief marketing officer. So right, go figure. Um, <laughs> then I became a chief financial officer, right? And so I've done everything from being an engineer to being a marketer, to being a, you know, a finance person. Um, and then I, I decided I wanna learn how to code because I don't know how to code. And when I talk to a CTO, I don't know what they're talking about. So then I actually took a coding course and, uh, and learned like front end, back end, JavaScript, React, uh, MongoDB and things like this. Um, so I could really understand how the software world, you know, fits together, right? And so now, like, if you think about my skill sets. Yeah, so you got a great skill stack, yeah. Engineering to software development, to marketing, to finance or whatever. But in a way that's kind of the future of, of work. It's, it's people with a broad group of skills that aren't hemmed in by I took this degree and that's what I have to do the rest of my life. Um, it's, it, none of this is rocket science. Like I went from being a nuclear engineer to a marketer because I just put my head down, head down and learned marketing. And I went into finance, not because I was qualified to be a CFO, um, but because it, I said, okay, well, what does the CFO do? Well, let me learn that really quick. <laughs> then off I went. Um, so I think that's uh, like in, in a way, like what the, what the future work looks like. That, that's that's terrific. I want to be sensitive about this, but for the people who, let's say, are in you know the tech space, because it seems they've been hit hard more so than other sectors recently in terms of downsizing, layoffs, rescinding offers. Yeah. Would you suggest for them to say, hey, 
just like you built this still skill stack of different, you know, experiences that, that maybe they should take a look and say, hey, maybe I was fill in the blank, whatever it is, but maybe use this time to kind of learn some other skills just in case. Now, maybe you might love it and say, hey, this is really what I want to do. Or maybe it's just good to have now. So you have an extra, you know, knowledge in a certain space. Do you think for those people who are actively maybe looking for a job now, maybe yeah. incorporate this into their job search? Hey, I'm looking for a job at the same time. Let me see what other things I should learn in the interim just to play it safe and to make sure I have some other skills moving forward. Well, I would extend it beyond just people applying to tech companies, yeah. right? Um, the, uh, the benefit that people like Google and Facebook and Netflix have had and Apple um, is they're like very well-known, exciting brands. Mm -hmm. They can pay infinite amounts of money to hire a developer or data scientist. Okay. And they just like were paying crazy, crazy money for entry-level people. Um, if you're Home Depot or you're Citibank or you're something else, you know, like a normal company, you don't have the same cachet and you don't have the same budget flexibility to go just like blank check, bring in the talent you want. And so those companies didn't, you know, the Googles and the Facebooks, like they didn't have a problem recruiting tech talent. It was everybody else in the world who had a problem recruiting tech talent. And so um, I would say there's, there's a lot of demand in all of those other companies uh, still, absolutely. Um, and, and it's pretty clear. It's those things we talked about in the beginning. It's like cybersecurity, it's cloud, it's da uh, data, it's analytics, it's data science. It's all those areas where there's just outsized demand um, that you know, if, you, if you invest in yourself, like it's gonna give you a really great opportunity uh, to find a role. And kind of circling back to a, the almost the original question, which is, you know, is there a route around college? What we're seeing is a macro trend um, from hiring to degree to hiring to skills. And there's been a lot of conversation at the government level. There's a lot of conversation at the leader of enterprise level about like proactively shifting hiring requirements away from that degree into that skill. And once you get into that world, and this is a macro trend that is happening, once you get into that world, everything opens up for everybody. Even Microsoft is really leaning into this right now, right? And they're famous for being degree snobs. Yeah. So um, I think like we are in this world where things are changing really, really quickly. And uh, if you find something that you're excited about, that you could see yourself doing, like lean in, right? There's, there's huge numbers of job opportunities out there in these areas. It's interesting because I wrote just recently about LinkedIn, which is owned by Microsoft, that made a big initiative exactly that skills-based hiring. That's kind of really a yep. big movement for all the reasons you just articulated. Um, so uh, let me ask you for the just just for, for the folks here. And then what we do is, you know, we edit it, clean up the podcast, then we repost it on social media for people who want to find you and find Udacity. What's the best way for them to reach out? Yeah, so um, at Udacity, we serve, call it three primary constituents. Um, we serve enterprises, so think about you know, big companies uh, who are looking to reskill their workforces or looking to you know, hire people outside their normal uh, hiring criteria and get them trained. Um, so that's one. Uh, we work uh, on the scholarship front, so with large governments who want to transform their workforces. 
um, or even regional governments. Uh, so that's like kind of societal level scholarship programs. Uh, and then the third is with individuals, right? So if you are just um, an individual who are looking is looking to invest in yourself, uh, we work with individuals as well. Um, so the best place to find us is go to udacity.com and, uh, and really select into who are you? Like, am I an enterprise? Am I a government or am I uh, an individual? And then we have really good solutions for each of those uh, constituents. Awesome. Well, that's great. That's awesome. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you coming here, spending your time. This is great because I, I, I'm with you. I really think this is one of the best ways for people to kind of navigate their career, to learn, not having to spend a whole lot of money, pivot into something new, reinvent themselves. So uh, this is great. So I, I'm glad you're able to walk it through. This is fantastic. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. So, I enjoyed the conversation and, uh, and look forward to talking again soon. Excellent. Thanks, Gabe.